You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. Axe Church is located in Camas, Washington. You can find out more about us at www.axecamas.org. Check out our other sermons and podcasts. You can find them on iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, and our website. This sermon was preached by Pastor David Robinson, who is the teaching pastor at Axe Church. We hope you enjoy the sermon, and we hope that the Lord blesses you through it. In a book uh, written by Robert Coleman, tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. She had a rare blood type, which she shared with her brother, and actually her brother had recovered from this disease that she had that she needed the transfusion for. He had recovered from it himself a couple years ago, so he had those antibodies or whatever that was going to make it even better. Uh, that she needed. And so the doctor uh, sat down and explained to the little boy, hey, listen, uh, your sister needs this. If she doesn't get this transfusion, she's going to die. And she's going to need your blood in order to to live. And so he basically, the doctor says to the little boy, listen, would you be brave? Would you be brave? Would you be strong for your little sister and give her your blood? And the doctor asked this little boy kind of you know, wants to get, get tough. He hesitates a little bit. He's trembling, lower lip, and he finally says, you know what, for my sister, sure, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go through the process. So the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Little Mary, who was gaunt and, and, and sickly and pale, and, and little Johnny, her brother, who was robust and healthy, and he was fine. And he smiled at his sister as they began the procedure, poking the needle into his arm, and as he watched the blood flow through the little clear tube and started to feel weak, his smile started to go away a little bit, and he called the doctor over to himself, and he said, Doctor, when do I die? He, he thought that giving the transfusion meant that he was giving his life to his little sister. That's, what he, that's how much he loved her. To him, it was worth it. It was worth it. When that doctor had been asking, will you do this for your little sister so she can live, the, the yes was, yes, I'll give my life for my little sister. Of course, little Johnny didn't die. It was just a blood transfusion. But that's how he felt about her. And there's something about the love that we have for our families, something about the love that we have for our friends, something about the love that we have for those closest to us. And there's something about this kind of love, this childlike love, this childlike trust that a brother, little brother has for a little sister. What, what kind of care and affection does somebody have to have to be willing to go through that for someone else? To be willing to pour yourself out for someone else. And we see this kind of love in an amazing degree, much more of a degree, in Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Not, not when we were his nice little sister right, that was kind and sweet and whatever. But while we were ugly, wicked rebels, he gave his life for us, showing us that kind of love. We were actually the reason. See, this little sister, she had a disease that wasn't her fault. We were the reason why Jesus had to give his life up, and yet he did it because his love for you and for me is so powerful and affectionate and complete that he was willing to do that. And he modeled in that for us how we ought to love one another. How we ought to love each other. Now, we've been studying a letter to the Thessalonian church from Paul, written by Paul, from him and Silas and Timothy. 
And we've been going through this. In the past couple studies we've been explaining, uh, Paul has been going through kind of an argument, right? He's been explaining, this, this is what we were like when we were with you. We've been, you know, other, other teachers, because there were lots of other teachers that would come into Thessalonica and, and try to get disciples and try to do their thing, right? There was no TV, so this was kind of the thing that people did. And, and they'd go and they'd, and they'd try to convince people to follow their ways. And he's saying, look, all these people, you can see them, they're after money, they're after power, they're after fame, they're after your stuff, they're after whatever, they're greedy, they're covetousness. But when we were, we were with you, that's not what we were like, we weren't like that at all. We weren't doing any of those things. And so today we're going to see Paul sort of finish out that argument about who they were among them versus who these other people were among them. And, and what Paul's going to show today is that he modeled, he and Silas and Timothy were modeling the love of Jesus Christ to these people, not for power or greed or under any other pretense, but just because they loved them and that God has changed and transformed these folks in Thessalonica as a result of that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn. There's, there should be one in front of you, one of these chairs. If you don't have one, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We got through the first part of verse 7. Last time we're actually going to start in the second half of verse 7, which I think starts a new idea. And we'll read uh, verse 7 and 8 first, or seven, second half and 8. It says, Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children... So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. Now, underline, if you've got your Bible, the word cherishes, or it might say cared for, or it might say cherisheth, if you have the old uh, King James Version. Uh, Underline that word. The word there is the Greek word thalpo. It's actually only used twice in the New Testament. Um, and, and, it, and it has to do with this kind of cherishing, this kind of, this kind of care that somebody would have. And Ephesians 5.29 is the other place where it's used. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So first we think about the word in terms of how we care about our own flesh. And trust me, we care about our own flesh. We care about our own bodies. We want them in as much comfort as possible, right? We spend big money on furniture and, and beds and comfortable clothes and comfortable things that make us feel good. Who bought a Snuggie? Come on. Snuggie? This is, you're in church. You can't lie. Snuggies, yeah. You all had a Snuggie. Look, we cherish our bodies. Get that little. So this is the weirdest. There's a backwards bathrobe. They made billions. Okay, whatever. Turn my bathrobe backwards. I could have been rich. Um, we, we want to be comfortable, right? We cherish our body. We don't hate our bodies. This is, no one ever hated their body. We're not, when we go through something difficult, we may be even willing to go through something difficult, whether that's a workout or we go through something for someone. But we're never thinking, I'm so glad this hurts so much because I hate my body and it deserves to feel this way. That's never the way we think about it. We think, this, this really hurts and I don't like that because I love my body. I cherish my own flesh. I want it to feel good, right? We like ourselves. We cherish ourselves. And Paul takes it like, a step further here, right? More than just our own bodies. He, he uses this illustration of a mother nursing her own children. Now, for those of you who have nursed your own children, you understand just the feeling of compassion, right? And, and the bond that exists between you and your child in, in those moments of closeness, the care, the affection, the protection that you feel, right, the love for your child. And, and Paul is saying that the people in the Thessalonian church had become so dear to them that that's how they thought of them. 
That they weren't just giving them the gospel but their whole lives as a mother would do for a child. They loved them that much. They longed for them. They longed for them with an affection. Imagine missing you know, your, your, your spouse, your kids, uh, whoever it is that you really love to be around. And they're gone for a month, three months, six months. And you know that feeling of just longing for those, that person, longing for, for, for their presence in your life. That's how Paul feels. Paul and Silas and Timothy, that's how they feel towards Thessalonians. That's how much they love them because they literally were like, like figuratively. They weren't literally. They, they were figuratively like a child who they were nursing, their own child. All right? How a mother loves it. Now, that, that's nothing. When we're talking about this, this distinction he's making between him and the other teachers, that's nothing like what these other teachers were like. None of them were like that. None of them were loving the people like their own child that they were nursing. They were all looking to get something. They want money. They want fame. They want power. They want something else. Paul's saying, listen, we love you like you were our own child. Not for what you could give to us. We just plain love you. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. We just love you. And this is the way that we should see all believers. We should, we should love them like this. And we could continue the illustration of, of nursing a child. And, and, and there's an aspect, I think, for, for those of us who are uh, in the role of ministry where we feel somewhat like the church and the, and, and the people that we love in the church are, are dear to us like a child that's nursing. Some of y'all bite. I'm not going to lie. Um, we'll get to that later. But if we're really going to take the illustration all the way out... Um, I got some teeth marks from time to time from some people. But we do feel that way, right? We feel that way and we ought to feel that way because we are called to love in that kind of a way. We're called to love in that kind of a way and show that we're not after the kind of rewards that other teachers and, and that other people look for from people. We're not looking to get something. We're looking to people because they're an end in themselves, because they're valuable in themselves, and because we love them for themselves. Now, it's not true to say that we don't get anything from our own children, right? I mean, obviously, when you have a child, it's pooping, it's peeing, it's doing all the stuff. They smell bad. They're loud. It's a, it's a mess, right? And, and you're, everything is something it needs from you. You're, it's not giving you anything, right? It's not giving you anything. It's, it's needing lots of stuff. And yet, somehow, there is still something we get from our children. That's joy, Right? We get joy from our children. We, we have joy in relationship with them. We have joy in seeing them grow. We have joy in seeing their maturity and wisdom as they grow up. We have joy just in their company. In Proverbs, it says this. In Proverbs uh, chapter 23, verse 22 through 25, it says, Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. It is a joy to have children. We're not looking to receive anything from them, but to give to them out of a true, strong affection because of the joy that exists in that relationship. And that's what Paul is saying to these brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying, we love you. It's the real thing. We have the love of Christ that's coming through us to you, right? Let's look at the next, next verse here, uh, verse 9. It says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. This is 
Manual labor is part of what he's talking about here. Manual labor, hard work. Paul was a tent maker, right? He was a tent maker. He had learned the trade. And so when he was in Thessalonica, he didn't want the church to have any issues about money or concerns about money that might get in the way of the gospel. So he just worked really hard all the time, super hard with his hands as well as teaching, right, so that he wouldn't be any kind of a burden to them, so they wouldn't have that kind of excuse. Paul didn't have any kind of, any problem with the churches supporting the pastors, the teachers, the apostles, and so on. In fact, he says that they should do that. But in this case, in Thessalonica, was one of the times where he chose to work with his own hands so that they would not need anything from him. You know, so they would understand even more what he's saying here. I didn't ask you for anything. In fact, I worked my tail off, my bottom off, as my mom would make me say, to make sure that you had, that you didn't ever have to look at us and wonder if we wanted something from you. I worked day and night. I worked day and night. He poured himself out in labor. He doesn't just say labor, he says toil. You know the difference, right? There's work. There's I got to go to work, and it's okay. I'm enjoying my job today. And then there's toil. That's the hard stuff. That's the stuff that comes from the fall. Work can be glorious, but it can also be toilsome. He's saying, I'm doing both. I'm, I'm laboring and I'm toiling night and day for you. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting to me here that, that sort of struck me is, is that there aren't two Pauls or two Silases. And let me tell you what I mean here. I, I was struck by the notion that he uses the term night and day. And I was struck by it because there aren't any other times. There's just nighttime and daytime, Right? Uh, morning, afternoon, those are daytime, you know, midnight, so on. They're nighttime. There's just nighttime and there's daytime. In other words, all the time, all the time, Paul is one thing. There were no breaks. There were no two sides. There wasn't the at-work Paul and the at-church Paul, right? He didn't have a different personality. There was no Sunday Paul and then Monday through Saturday Paul. It does not say here in the text, and I was with you laboring all Sunday morning from about 9.45 to 1. Right? And then whatever happened after that. That's not what he says. Night and day. All the time. All the time. He did not live differently on Sunday or when he was with the church than he did when he was at work or when he was at play or when he was doing anything else. He didn't play around. He didn't play around. He was living in such a way that he didn't have to be ashamed when he came to church about the way he had lived during the week. And during the week, the way he lived, he lived so that he would not, he lived unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed of the gospel at, at work and at play, so that when he was with the church, he was unashamed of his behavior when he was with them. Now, this is something that's important. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, when I was younger, I definitely pigeonholed my life into church David, there was work David, there was school David, there was even an interacting with church that was split up between church David around older people and church David around younger people. There were a lot of Davids, a lot to keep straight. In every case, I was trying to make sure I acted in a way with people that I would have the most success possible, right? I was fake. I was fake. Now, we're going to come back to that in a minute. We're going to come back to that. Let's read the next verse. It says in verse 10, You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves. This is about how they acted. Now, 
We should not miss the connection here. This is very important. Don't miss the connection between the full fulfillment that he's talking about of living like Jesus Christ and loving like Jesus Christ that he's talking about up to this point. We did this, we did that, we love you this way, we live this way, we're, we're, we're living the right way, and the devout, blameless, and just behavior. Those things are connected, okay? One equals the other. A full commitment in the way that you live equals behavior that is just and devout and blameless. Paul is saying to these people, take a look at us. You don't have to just go by what we say. There's all these people coming into town, and they're blah, blah, blah. They got, it's coming out of their mouth. The way most people see lawyers, right? They do a lot of this, a lot of this. You wonder if they get paid by the word. Yes, sometimes. <laughs> Depends on how long it takes to say that word. They do a lot of that, right? And, and, and generally are looked down on. The same thing with the philosophers and the religious folks back in those days. They could, they could multiply words. They could multiply words, but where's the behavior? And Paul's saying, look, we weren't just talking. We were walking. Look at us. Watch what we do. Watch what we do if you want to be convinced that what we're saying is true. That rhymed. That just happened that way. Hey, listen, I'm a talker and not a walker sometimes. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm a talker and not a walker. Tiffany, my wife, my kids, unfortunately, my children could testify to that. There are times, sometimes I just get my talk gets ahead of my walk and I'll institute some family system that we're going to do, right? And it's like, all right, we're never going to eat anything on these couches in the living room again, right? That's how it's going to be. Big talk, right? The next day, I'm in there eating Doritos, crumbs, going all the kids are like, Dad, you said we're never supposed to eat in here again. I'm like, well, not never. I mean, maybe just while we watch the Huskies play, right? That's the exception. The cutout exception, but yeah, the next thing, no, we're all eating Doritos on the couch and whatever, okay? But when I was making that rule, I was talking big. But when it came time to walking, it wasn't there. And that's the least of my talking, walking problems. I just wanted to use an example that didn't embarrass me too much. Uh, Paul is saying here that when it comes to the gospel message, that walking and talking need to match each other, and that they do. That their love for them that their love for them was real. And you could see it in their behavior and their lifestyle. The love was real. The behavior and the lifestyle matched. It was not just talk. Right? You can watch and see. The real deal. The kind, that kind of authenticity where, authenticity where you can say, you can look at me. I, I'm open to it. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but you can see that I'm walking with a heart that is trying to do what's right. And you open that up and you give that kind of authenticity. Every believer should be that way. Some of you may be like, ooh, I don't know about that. Every believer should be that way. But especially teachers. Especially those in leadership. Especially teachers. Because you cannot be a hypocrite and have people trust you. Okay? Hear this. You cannot be a hypocrite and have people trust you. They just will not trust you. Paul knows this, and that's why he's spending so much time reminding these Thessalonian believers about his behavior while he was among them. You can't point to anything that I was doing that would take away what I'm saying about how much I love you, what I'm saying about the gospel, what I'm saying about what is true. You test me. You look at it. Right? Let's look at the next verse, verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, 
as a father does his own children. Now we've switched illustrations from a nursing mother to a teaching father. In both of these cases, highlighting different forms of love. Both incredibly important, both different forms of love that the Thessalonian people would have understand, understood. Back in the ancient world, uh, it was considered do, one of the duties of the father, right, to admonish, teach, exhort, command, and so on, his children. So they would have understood that as, as a role that was, that was due to the father, right? And there's all kinds of this family language that's being used here in Thessalonians. we got mother, father, their sisters, their brothers. We see all this family language in Scripture. Why is that? The church is a family, right? We are God's children. What's the reason for all that? Listen, we're supposed to take the natural love that we have. Okay, when you have a child, there's a natural love. There just, there just normally is a natural love that's there. Okay, when you get married, when you, when you have your brother or your sister, your mom or your dad, unless there's, unless there's extreme dysfunction, which often there is, there's a natural love that just flows that you just have for your family. And what, and what God says, we're using all those kinds of family words for who we are as the church, which means this. You're supposed to take that kind of natural love that you have, that strong, passionate, just loving, just, just wanting to be with other people love, and you're supposed to extend that out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. The same love that you would have for your own sister should be the same love that you have for your sister in Christ. We use this family language because it's supposed to mean something. The illustration is supposed to say, it's like that. That love that you have for your family, that's the love that you have for your church. And it goes the whole way. You have your family. You know, you're, we got Christmas dinner coming up. You know who you're like, I'm going to have to listen to this person. You know, they're going to want to talk about such and such. I'm gonna, so we have issues with our own family. And, and no doubt you come to church every once in a while like, oh, great. David's probably going to go over 10 minutes, you know, or whatever. Never happened. Because there's no rule. I've never told you what it's going to be. But right? Like, you've got issues with your own family, but the love should be the same. And it's not an easy thing to do in our own strength. But Paul is showing that this is the way that he sees and interacts with the people in Thessalonica. And Paul tells them why he treated them like a nursing mother. Why he exhorted and comforted and commanded them like a loving father. That's what he says in verse 12 kind of sort of the end of the argument that he's making here. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That you would walk worthy of God. Why did he do all these things? Why was it all there? That you would walk. Walk. What does that mean? Earlier I talked about how when I was younger I was fake, right? I, I talked one way. It to one group of people. I talked another way to another group of people, and I didn't walk in a way that honored anybody. When you fully commit to Christ and walk in that way and you don't deviate from it, certain things happen. Certain things happen that he's talking about here that happened with the Thessalonians. And when you do not walk, listen, this is important too, when you do not walk in the way that you ought to as a fully devoted Christ follower, certain things happen. It's just spiritual physics, right? Just spiritual physics. If you walk the right way and you're staying pure and you're doing the things you need to do and you're loving and you're morally righteous and you're whatever, certain things happen. And if you walk in such a way that you're hypocritical, that you're not doing the things you need to do, that you talk out of both sides of your mouth, that you're like, I was with church David and school David and whatever David, then other things happen that aren't as good. That aren't as good. So what happens when you walk tall and strong in the Lord 
in love for others and affection for others, living a morally pure life. What happens? Well, let's see what happened in Thessalonica when they did it. Verse 13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. What happened? What happened when they lived the right way, when they were consistent night and day, loving, walking, being pure, doing the things they're supposed to do? Then when they spoke, when they spoke, the people received the word of God and welcomed it. Not as the kind of words that everyone else was speaking, which is the point they're making, but as the truth from God. That's what it did. When they received the word of God that they heard from Paul and Silas and Timothy, they welcomed it as a truth from God. Why? Because a godly example, listen, the godly example of love and grace and truth and a lack of hypocrisy and walking the right way is a supernatural testimony. It's a supernatural testimony of the truth of the gospel. Because people know it doesn't come from our normal human power to live like that. If you truly love people and truly live it out in sincere affection for others and you pour yourself out for them and you live morally, purely, without hypocrisy, then people know something is up. That there's something about the gospel message that's true. And what it does is that behavior, the way you walk, it's like tilling the ground of the hearts of other people. It's working into the soul of other people and making that heart ready so that when you plant the seed, it can actually land. Now, of course, hypocrisy will do the opposite. Make that heart harder and harder for the next person who's trying to walk purely. Right? It's that simple. Look, be real if you want people to believe that God is real. Be real if you want people to believe that God is real. Simple, right? Be real. The opposite is also true. Be fake if you want people to question whether God is real. Go out there and say you're a Christian, and then be fake if what you want is for everybody who's around you and knows you to wonder whether God is real at all. Because you're saying that you're part of that, but you're not living it out. Right? Which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the people who do the multiple people, multiple personalities thing? Or are you living the, the way that's real? Are you a different person at church or at work or at school? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Or do you come here ashamed of the you that was at church or work at school this week? Are you walking steadfastly and tall and morally pure and in love and affection for others so that people, when they hear from you the gospel, they believe that it's true? Which one are you? 14 through 16. Let's look at these. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now listen, why are people different, doing the different personality, doing the hypocrisy thing, besides just selfishness and the rest of that, why do people want to be one person at church and a different person out in the community or at school or at work or whatever? Why do they want to do that? Because of this. 
because of what he just said. Hey, listen, you all were imitators of the churches in Judea. What did that mean? Was that like a great thing? No, it meant you were persecuted. You had to go through some stuff. You suffered the same things that they did, right? Because the Jews in Jerusalem, or some of them in Judea, were persecuting the church. Who was with them, by the way, who did that? Paul, who's writing the letter. He's one of the people who was doing that. He knows all about it. He was standing there when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church. They were suffering. He said, now, when we came to you in Thessalonica, we, we've, we read the story. We know what happened. Paul and Silas had to run out of town at nighttime because the riots and the difficulties that were coming, the church was under persecution. They were under persecution. So why do you act differently in different places? Because you don't want that. You don't want the persecution. Right? Being real means exactly what you are scared it will mean. Let me just be clear so that you're not, I'm not pumping you with bubble gum and, and butterflies. Being real means exactly the thing that you are afraid it will mean. Exactly the thing that you are afraid it will mean. It means that some people will reject you because some people reject Jesus. It's going to happen. I'm not going to pretend to you like being real is going to keep everybody happy with you. Anyone who is telling you that is selling you something. And I got nothing to sell. This, this sells itself. You're with it or you're not with it. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart or is not, right? And he is. That's why you're here. Living real will be exactly what you fear it will be and exactly what you hope it will be. Both. There's a price to being Real. There's a price to not being a hypocrite. And when I was young, and I wasn't really walking with the Lord, but I wanted to play, wanted to play church, I wasn't willing to pay that price. I, I understood it completely. If I was to walk straight and not veer off at every group of people that I knew, I was going to suffer some persecution. Social, being socially ostracized, not being able to do the things I want to do or hang out with people that I wanted to hang out with or whatever it was. I knew that I was going to pay a price if I wanted to not be a hypocrite and walk that straight line. I knew it. There was no question about it. I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. So I just played. And I found out what we all find out who walked down that road. That you become a fake person. And you don't only dishonor all your friends who you're being fake to, but you dishonor yourself and more importantly, you dishonor God. By being that way. You become lukewarm. You're neither in or out. And you don't get to see the benefits that Paul and Silas and Timothy got to see. Yeah, there was trouble. There was persecution. Probably worse than any of you will experience, for all I know. But there was also some pretty amazing things. They got to see the transformation and change that the gospel brought. They got to see the word of God implanted in these people who believed it because of the love that Paul and Silas and Timothy were showing that Jesus Christ was giving through them. Right? They got to see it take root because the people took them seriously. Now, your ability, your ability to speak truth is compromised when you do not live the truth. Your ability to speak truth is compromised when you do not live the truth. This is true. You've seen this with your own kids. If you have children and you say, hey, you need to not do whatever, and they come back with, as soon as they get old enough to come back with, but didn't you? Well, daddy is the one who's paying for everything. He's allowed to do that, right? 
didn't you do that? Didn't, well, well, if I'm not supposed to do that, why are you and mom able to do this? Right? Your, my ability to speak truth is compromised when I don't live truth. It's no different when you go out in the world and have friends and have coworkers and have people at school and whatever, and you live a certain way. Every time you go against, you live against truth, you compromise your ability to ever speak truth to that group of people. Let's finish the passage out, 17 through 20. But we, brethren, haven't been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Right? We're away from you in, in our bodies, but our heart is still with you. We, we love you. That's the kind of love they have. Endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul. This is, how we, this is the first place where we know that although this is from Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy, really it's Paul who's doing the writing. Right? Even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Listen. They missed them. I mean, really missed them. They loved them. If you, if you didn't get to come to church for a week or two weeks or a month, have you ever been in that situation? Do you miss these people? That's how they were. They missed them. They really, really loved them. They had real affection for the Thessalonian church, for the people in Thessalonica. Their hearts were with them. They wanted to be with them. They wanted to come back, but they experienced some kind, we don't know exactly what, some kind of spiritual warfare that actually kept them from going back when they had wanted to go back. And then eventually they were able to send Timothy, as we'll read about later, right? But then we see this language that really completes the parent-child illustration we saw earlier. Right? It completes it. It says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Remember what I said about what children do for us? It's that joy. It's that crown of rejoicing. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Jesus is going to come. And Paul and Silas and Timothy are going to be sitting there saying, here's the Thessalonians. We were faithful to you. We loved them, honored them. We lived justly and morally uprightly. And, and, and you worked through us and your Holy Spirit. And here they are. Here are these brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul and Silas and Timothy will have joy and glory and rejoicing when Jesus Christ returns for his church. And they get to say, let me present to you the Thessalonian brothers and sisters, along with a lot of others, including you and I, who are now still reading the work that Paul wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're still studying it. Now, do you know who you will be presenting for your glory and joy when Jesus Christ comes back? Or will you be looking around awkwardly? Who will you be presenting? Do you ever dream of being at school in your underwear? You ever have that one? <laughs> totally had that dream. A lot of times. It's weird. I, I should probably get checked out. I'll also have this one where it, in my dream it's like the last day of class, and I realize I've never been to any classes. This was also reality once for me. But that, it's a dream that I have. 
right? The, the kind of dream where you're thinking, I've got to do something, and I don't have the thing I need to show to do it. It's time to reform, right? I need to be at school. What am I not, what do I not have? Oh, my pants, right? Or I need to go to class. Oh, I haven't been there all semester. It's finals day. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? You ever forgotten your spouse's birthday? No one's going to admit to that. <laughs> you were thinking to yourself, where is that foot bath thing that we got five years ago? I bet she's forgotten about that, and I can re-gift it to her, right? <laughs> Let me tell you something so that you understand something. I don't care if your wife cannot remember what she had for breakfast that morning and is chasing the kids around and there are Cheerios in her hair and whatever. If you hand her that foot bath, she's going to be like, oh, heck no. <laughs> you think I didn't remember the foot bath? You better get real. <laughs> you better get Don't do that. I'm give the foot back. I'm not saying I did that. I'm not saying I did that. You better have what you need when the time comes or the experience that you have is unlikely to be joy. Right? You come empty-handed, you're not likely to have joy. Our joy is in and will be in those who we have poured into in love and affection. Those who we have discipled from a morally pure, non-hypocritical lifestyle. That's where our joy will be. It will be in having been used by God to love other people in the power of the Holy Spirit and to build our brothers and sisters in Christ up, to exhort and comfort and charge, to nurse the other disciples like a loving mother. That's where your joy is going to be, to have something at the end of the day that's not going to burn up. That's not going to burn up. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, capital D day, this is the day of the Lord, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward, joy, rejoicing. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Lord willing, we'll study this passage much more in depth when we get into 1 Corinthians. But what it's saying here is our work, building each other up, discipling each other, loving each other, living the right way for each other will be tested. And there will be a reward and joy for those who have done work that's gold, silver, precious stones. Right? And Paul and Silas are saying here, you are our joy. You are our joy because what we have in you ain't burning up. It's not burning up. We don't want our work to burn up either. And there's a lot of things we do in life that they're just going to burn. Lately, I've been exercising. I know, I know, I don't look like I need to. But <laughs> too much, too much laughing. This last week, I've been playing disc golf. That's what I've decided. It's a good way to get out there. I've been taking my son out there. I'm getting better. I'm putting some time into it, right? Um, I, I actually twice 
while I was playing this week, I went up to throw a disc and I slipped and I fell. Neither time did I think anybody saw me. Praise the Lord. But you do think, I, it's, it's over. I'm now old, right? Um, but I'm doing that. And now listen, if the Lord comes and he says, David, what do you have to present? Who do you have to present? Who have you allowed me to work through you to disciple and care and love and treat like a, a child, your own child that you're nursing to show this, this kind of love to? Who do you have? And I go, well, now here's the thing. I don't have any of that. But have you seen me throw a Frisbee? I put some real time into that, Lord. Burn. It's burning. It's gone. Right? That's not getting us anywhere. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing disc golf. I'm just saying it's burning. If the Lord comes to you and says, show me the people who you've poured your life out for. And I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not going to be happy. I will suffer loss. On the other hand. I can say, here they are. Here are the people who I poured my life out for. I'm going to experience rejoicing, glory, joy in the Lord. I will feel that I have done something to honor the person who I say I love the most. My God, my King will be pleased with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. But it doesn't come with hypocrisy. It doesn't come with wanting to get something out of it. It comes with a true, passionate, energetic, unbelievable love for other people and walking morally pure. I know what it feels like in life, because I have children, when your child accomplishes something, right? And I think it's going to feel something like that. Anything your child accomplishes, I know, like graduating from school or, or they get that first job or they get married and you're just beaming and it's just, you know, the whole thing. Mostly you're crying because how much it costs. All of that. I remember when Ethan first learned to tie his shoes. We were at a family reunion and I was just so proud to be able to show off that my son had learned to tie his shoes. And we'd come and there's a couple of my cousins and I'm like, hey, check this out, Ethan. Hey, listen, show them that you know how to tie your shoes, buddy. And he's like... Okay. Yeah. So he said, I'm like, yeah, the bunny goes through the hoop. And, what? and he ties his shoes perfect. Shoes are perfect. And I'm just like, what's up? And these guys are like, I mean, that's good, David, but he's 12 years old. <laughs> Some people's spiritual walk is like that. Right? Some people spiritually like that walk is like that. They're 12 years old, and you're still like, okay, put the bunny through the hoop, spiritually speaking. Right? Now, why is that? I'm not saying that to, to make someone feel bad about where they are spiritually. I'm saying that for us to say, have we been giving? Have they been receiving from us the love and affectionate, powerful, loving uh, discipleship that we're called to give them, that we should be showing them, that we should be showing each other, or have we held that back? And that's why they're still at that four or five-year-old stage when they should be at that 12-year-old stage. We're not growing without each other, people. We are the people of Acts Church. And we are here for you, for us, for each other. Hopefully for so many more, as Lord willing, if the Lord will give us more and more people to minister to, that's great. But that's who we are and that's what we're about. Let's love one another. Let's have a true affection for one another. Let's care for each other like a nursing mother cares for her own children. Let's exhort and encourage and command one another in a loving way 
as a loving father does his own children. You, both of those apply to all of you. The male and the female version of these apply to all of us. The kind of care that a mother shows and the kind of exhortation that a father in the first century would have shown for his children, some of them being very harsh and horrible, some of them being very kind and gentle and patient. In fact, some of the philosophers talked about how the, a good father is not the one who's harsh and who's overbearing, but who gently does these things, who does them patiently. That's you to each other. The more that we love each other this way, the more the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, will be seen by others, heard by others, and believed by others as the truth from God. It is a supernatural witness for us to treat each other that way. The more we love each other in this way, the more rejoicing. The more rejoicing and glory and joy we will have in each other and in hopefully, Lord willing, so many others who God will hopefully put in our lives that we can love in this way. The more we love each other, the more we show true affection for one another, the more we will live a life out of moral purity and honor to God as strong men and women of God. 1 John 2.10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. How are you loving your brothers and sisters? How are you loving people in Christ's church? How are you nursing them like your own child? How are, you, how are you thinking about them in that way? Do you love the person that's sitting next to you right now as much as that little boy loved his sister? Do you love the person sitting next to you as much as that little boy loved his sister when he thought he was going to give up his life for her? Now, do you have the courage? Do you have the courage in Christ to ask him to give you that kind of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ? I want you to think about this. Do you have the courage to say, Lord, I want you to give me that kind of love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because I think you know what it will cost. If God gives you that kind of love, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. It's the kind of love that will have to tear down the walls of isolation that you have put between you and other people so that you can feel comfortable, so that it doesn't get too real or too fanatical. It's the kind of love that will show in massive vulnerability to other people. They gotta be able to see through. You want them to know you're not a hypocrite so they can believe in God? You gotta show them you're not a hypocrite. That means they gotta be able to see what's going on. Not just you at your best, not just you faking it, but the real you, warts and all. It's a kind of love that will destroy hypocrisy in your life. And yet, for some of us, hypocrisy is safe but it will destroy it. It's the kind of love that will crash in and amputate your idols and your functional saviors that you have set up to make you feel better when you just don't trust God enough to do it for you. That's the kind of love that comes when we ask God to give us love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the kind of love that will make you hate, hate the things that you do and think in the dark. 
It'll make you hate those things because it's the kind of love that will renew your mind in Christ. It's the kind of love that may bring persecution, though. It may bring persecution, but I guarantee you it will produce amazing and eternal glory and joy. Yep, it's, there's a cost to it. It's the kind of love that Jesus wants us to have, and he showed us this kind of love much more than any of us have ever showed it to anyone. It's the kind of love that Paul and Silas and Timothy had that God used to draw the Thessalonians to himself and to create a church there, a local body that was, that was his body, that has been effective for thousands of years now in the letters that were, that were written to them and the people that have come down the line as disciples of Paul and Silas and Timothy and those people and the people that they talk to and the people they talk to because that love has been consistent. It's the kind of love that God can only give you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's real. You want that? You scared of that? You should be a little scared of that. Have you ever, have you counted the cost of that? Because I think a lot of us do think, yeah, I would love to love like that, but it would mean a lot of things. Maybe next year. Maybe when I retire. Eventually, I'll, I'll get there, right? If you're waiting until you're ready, let me just tell you a truth that you might as well just write down. You will never be ready. You can only be willing. You will never be ready for the kind of upheaval and transformation that comes when you say, God, give me radical, God-like love for other people. You will never be ready for the kind of radical submission and humility that comes with it. You will never be ready to say, whatever happens, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to put my love out there even though I know there are people who are going to bite. I know there are people who are going to take that love that I'm giving and they're going to use it to persecute me or to destroy me or to use me, and yet I'm going to do all of that for you takes a lot. You'll never be ready for it. You can only be willing to let God do it in you. Willing to experience God's joy forever. Because while all those costs are there, they're what makes the joy so sweet. Take a minute. I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If you don't know the Lord, if you've never believed on Jesus Christ for your salvation, if you've never asked for forgiveness of your sins and said, Jesus, I want to be a Christ follower. I want you to forgive me and make me right. Take my sin and take it as far as east is from west so that there's no more shame and there's no more judgment. And let me be with you and let me follow you. I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God that you died and you rose again. If you've never done that, this is your moment. In your heart, I'm not going to give you a magic set of words to say. Just believe it. Tell the Lord that you need him, that you ask for forgiveness and believe it. And today, this very day, you can be a Christ follower and go from death to life spiritually. Do that. If you're a believer and the Holy Spirit is working on you and saying, listen, question yourself. Do you really love anybody like this little boy loved his sister? Do you love anybody like Paul and Silas and Timothy loved the Thessalonian believers? And do you want to love everybody like that? And are you willing to live the life that that means, that comes with that? Not the comfortable uh, Western United States, I got a lot of money, I'm very comfortable. Not that life, but the one that's willing for anything to happen if it means that you can love more, if it means that you can be Jesus to more people. Are you willing to have that? 
Think about the radical change that could happen in this community, in this place, in this, in, in, in this area, in the world, if you were like that. Just this group of people, just this size, if we would do that and truly love like that, what would happen? This isn't a game. I'm not trying to make you feel good or feel bad. This isn't about emotional stuff. This is about a real serious thing that you need to do in your mind, in your soul with Jesus right now. Are you loving that way? Do you want to? Do you need to ask him for that? And as you're there with your eyes closed, your heads bowed, if it's time for you to ask that, I pray that you would ask that. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would empower you to love each other as he's called you to love. I'm going to give you just a minute and then we're going to pray. Father, help me to love. Help me to love like you love. Help me to have your love. Lord, whatever it costs me, whatever price I have to pay is nothing, Lord, because you've given me all I have. My life is worthless without you, without your grace. And so you have it. It's yours. Help me to love the people in this room, my other brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to love them. Show me how to love. Show me how to humbly come alongside and wash the feet of my neighbor, of my brothers and my sisters. Help me to experience in myself the kind of powerful love that Paul talks about, Lord, that your Holy Spirit through Paul has shown us the kind of love that a nursing mother has for her own child, just wanting to love and protect just the affection, Lord, the kind of love that a father has as they instruct their child, as they admonish, as they encourage, as they lift up, even as they command for the, for the good of that child. Lord, give me the kind of love that's like that, like this little boy who said, all right, if that's what it takes for my sister to be better, okay, I'll do it. Lord, let me have that love for every single person here because it's your, it's, it's your love. It's a mirror of your love. And I pray that you would love people through me, Lord, and that eventually we would be, the people in this room would be each other's joy and glory on that day. When you return for your church, Lord, let us present each other to you as those who we have loved and poured ourselves out for, Lord. And I pray, right now, Lord, I pray that you would give us many more, hundreds more, thousands more that we could minister to that we could see lives change and transform, that we could love like our own children. Not, not for anything other than the opportunity to let the love that you're going to put in our hearts go out. I thank you for your people. We pray that you'd be with those who are hurting, those of us, those from our church who are sick. I think of John Ware, who's still going through chemotherapy. I think of others with cancer, lots of people just with colds, people who are out there, Lord, let our love for them be strong. Let us think of them. Let us not forget our brothers and sisters who can't make it, who can't get here today. Let them feel your love through us, Lord. God, we love you so much in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to that Acts Church sermon. We hope you got a lot out of it. 
If you did, we'd love it if you would comment or uh, give us a review or give the track a like. Uh, It really means a lot to us to hear back from people who have um, heard these sermons and have been impacted by it. So share your story with us. Share what is happening in your life um, that this is speaking into. And remember, you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or through SoundCloud so that you can get all of our releases as soon as they come out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with more next week.